Jesus, we want to thank you for this word, for your word, and for the truth that you are the resurrection and the life. So in these moments, would you help us to understand what you mean for us here today? And we give you thanks in your name, Jesus. Amen. Before I get started, I just want to put in a little plug for Jubilee Day that's coming up this Saturday. And if you can, to work a four-hour shift, this means so much to the community, to the teachers, and it's a lot of fun giving you an opportunity to meet some folks from the church. So just a little plug. Uh, so now to my sermon. Uh, one of my favorite movies uh, in the last uh, many years was uh, The Dead Poet Society. Anybody ever see that film? Lots of folks saw that film. Uh, I was a youth pastor when it first came out. It was its first release. So anybody that was in leadership at the time working with me um, got to see that film, whether they'd already seen it or not. Uh, and there is this scene at the beginning of the film that many of you, uh, many of you are familiar with. It's where uh, the main character is played by Robin Williams, sort of gathers his class around a glass case. It's filled with all the old pictures of students' past. In fact, the pictures were taken so long ago that everyone in the glass case has died, which is a creepy way to start a class, don't you think? Come here, come look at all these dead people, you know. <laughs> kind of an odd way. Well, uh, Williams has one of the, his students then read an excerpt from a Keating poem. Gather you rosebuds while you may, old time is still flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Now, the Latin translation of the sentiment of that, uh, uh, he tells them, is carpe diem, seize the day. And the scene closes with all of his students sort of pressing into this glass case, examining the pictures of the students who are in there. Meanwhile, Williams is circled behind his class, pretending to be the collective voice of all of those pictures inside. He whispers these words, carpe diem, seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. Well, the rest of the movie is really about trying to live these full, extraordinary lives, mustering up the courage to resist the pressures and overcome the obstacles which try to squeeze those boys into the mold that the culture and the people around them expect them to fit into. Now, some students succeed, but others don't. So they end up looking dead on the outside Sorry, try it again. Alive on the outside, but dead or slowly dying on the inside. There's a difference, right? <laughs> Just trying to see if you're awake, because I'm not, apparently. So anyway. Well, have you ever felt that way? Alive on the outside, but sort of dead or maybe dying on the inside? We're going through a sermon series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. And whether you have been in that place or you are in that place here this morning, the simple message I want you to hear today is Jesus resurrects dead things and he makes them into new living things. Now, just before the passage that we read, uh, that Scott read, Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus for him to come because their brother and his friend, Lazarus, is very sick. So they want him to come quickly, probably hoping that Jesus will heal Lazarus. And the disciples think that he's crazy wanting to go to Bethany because Bethany is just two miles from Jerusalem. And the last time they were all there, the people in Jerusalem tried to kill Jesus. So... Uh, Thomas, who's sort of the disciples' version of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, you know, he goes something like, well, 
if we're going to die, if you're going to die, we may as well go out there with you, you know. Which turns out to be the motivating speech that they all needed to hear because they all went to Bethany. But they go thinking about life and death, their life and their death. Now Martha is also thinking about life and death when she rushes out to meet Jesus because her brother Lazarus is now dead. And by the time Jesus has showed up, Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. Now the reason Mary isn't there is probably because she's so grief-stricken that she stays at home with people who've come to comfort her. Sad, shocked over Lazarus' sudden death, life seems so fragile, so temporary, so vulnerable. And no one, no one would have expected what happened when Jesus showed up. We wouldn't have expected it either. See, we, uh, we live in this culture that is obsessed with looking young and staying young. Really. We rarely talk about death, even though the death rate is hovering at 100%. We don't talk about death so much. In fact, we use whatever means we possibly can to avoid aging altogether. We don't want to get old. Like we, and, and I don't mean anybody in this room or people are going to be watching this tape, nobody here, but the culture around us invests so much time, so much energy, so much money into trying to stay young and reverse the aging process. Now, I notice that the only commercials targeting my age group these days are either for hair loss programs or for men uh, who need a revitalization dr uh, drug, men who like go to camp and drive Camaros but need, have trouble with other things, you know. <laughs> I went to the doctor uh, the other day because I had some pretty good reason to think I have sleep apnea. Turns out my wife says I keep her awake all night because I'm not breathing. She used to complain that I was snoring. Now she's complaining because I'm not. Well, anyway, I asked the doctor why this is suddenly happening to me. And he said, well, you're getting older and things are starting to sag. So when you sleep, your jaw sort of sags into the back of your throat and it clogs that, uh, blocks off that air passage, which translated means you're getting old and old things sag, proving again that gravity works. Good thing I picked a doctor who was sensitive to the fragile personality profile that is me. We live in a culture that is obsessed with staying young. We don't want to get old. We don't want to die. So we don't talk about it much. That's one of the reasons that this passage means so much to us. When Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life, and then he rose Lazarus from the dead, he not only foreshadowed his own coming resurrection, but he demonstrated that right there in him, something, that was ha something was happening that was changing everything. Jesus initiated the greatest revolution our world will ever see against a powerful enemy who stole the loyalty of everyone, everything that God made. It was a revolt against the corruption and the decay of this world so that people could right here, right now, be restored to live in a right relationship with our Heavenly Father and right relationship with each other. Jesus came to show us life, real life, as God designed it, and then to make that life possible forever. 
Each of Jesus' I am statements are these radical declarations of victory. With each one, Jesus is taking back this spiritual territory that Satan had stolen. So when Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life, he is declaring that death's reign is over. And he, he alone, has the power to raise dead things and make them into new living things. Resurrection means God wins, and so we win too. Resurrection means that Jesus conquered death, so death is never final when we put our faith in Jesus. Life becomes seamless, and death cannot interrupt it. It's life now, and then everlasting life, more and more life. Resurrection also means that we will have new bodies. We won't be souls floating around in clouds playing harps, or as Scott likes to say, that's Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know. We will have new transformed bodies, which basically means that you will have a body that looks like you, except way better, sort of you 4.0. Resurrection means Satan and death and disease and tragedy are done. They have been conquered. They are finished. There are some battles to fight in this life, but church, the war is over. The war is over. The way things are now we will not be the way things are going to be. And there will be a time when forever and ever and ever and ever there will be no more sickness, there will be no more death, there will be no more hunger, there will be no more injustice, no more. Resurrection isn't Jesus just tooting his horn at Satan, saying, Hey, Satan, watch out. It is Jesus grabbing the starter's pistol and firing it off to begin a brand new race, a whole new era. God's kingdom is here now. The Jesus revolution has begun. Now, a woman I'll call Susan had a brother who was struggling with a lot of different things in his life. So he turned to New Age religion for help. Susan tried to tell him about Jesus and about all the things that Jesus had done in her life, but he wasn't interested in her story or in Jesus. Uh, He was dying on the inside. His life was just getting worse and worse and worse. Well, the harder she pushed, the more he resisted, till finally he moved away to another state so that he could move in with this New Age uh, group thinking that would change him. But the beautiful thing is God wasn't done because he ended up moving in right next to these Christian neighbors. And they constantly were doing these things to help him. They, they helped him move in. They provide food for him when they, he, he was sick. They, they'd lend a hand when he needed some work done around the house. Uh, just ordinary acts of service, helping him, caring uh, for him, showing him the love of Jesus through their words and through their actions. Well, slowly, they began to break down this wall that this guy had put up between him and between Jesus. A year went by, and one day, the neighbor sort of took a chance and invited him to their church. He went, and in worship, he felt this deep love and amazing presence that he knew must be Jesus. He'd never experienced that before. So in those moments, he committed his life to Christ. He quit the New Age group. He ended up moving back to where his sister lived, and he's been a Christian ever since. 
Now, even when it seemed hopeless, even after her brother moved away, even when he kept making a bigger and bigger mess of his life, Susan never gave up. And neither did God, because God never gives up. Jesus resurrects dead things, and he makes them into new living things. I think that's why I like what Martha says so much in this passage. See, standing there with Jesus, her brother dead and in a, in a cave, buried, she says in verse 22, But even now I know God will give you whatever you ask. Which is an amazing statement if you think about the circumstances. Even now. Even now that her brother is dead. Even now that he's been laid in a, his body's decaying and he stinks. You know, I love that little descriptive part in the scripture. You know, John's just so descriptive. Even now, even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask. Even now that you have received the news, which is just so devastating. Even now that your situation has gone on as long as it has. Even now that there is no end in sight. Even now that everything you have tried has failed. Even now, God can take dead things and raise them to become new living things. The things in your life that are old and dying and feeling like they're dead, Jesus can take those things and raise them to new life. So whatever you brought here this morning with you to worship, Jesus can raise it. He can take what is broken, and he can restore it. Hope rises to replace despair. Purpose rises to replace meaninglessness. Intimacy rises to replace loneliness. Courage rises to replace fear. Truth rises to replace deception. Strength rises to replace weakness. There are no hopeless situations. There are only women and men who've grown hopeless about them. Whatever you are dealing with here today, don't you give up. Don't you give in. Jesus gives us hope. Are you with me so far? Resurrection means we have hope. Hope in a future resurrection. Hope in Jesus' power now to resurrect dead things and make them living things, dead things in us and in our lives. He can make those new. Hope, it's a life changer. It's sort of the power, it's the energy, it's the fuel that drives our lives. You take away hope, we've got nothing. We're left with nothing. Hope is what made Noah build an ark. Hope is what got Moses to take on Pharaoh. Hope is why David uh, did battle with and conquered Goliath. Hope is what powers marriages to stay together and do whatever it takes. Hope is why we offer healing prayer in this service. Hope is why we do Jubilee Day. Hope is why we do worship in the park. Hope is why we send people out on mission trips around the world. Hope is why we build places like the Center for Champions in Rwanda. Hope is a life changer, isn't it? Now, a few years ago, a friend of mine uh, received a graduate degree uh, in a field uh, so that he could get a job that he felt like God had been calling him his whole life to. 
But when he graduated, the, the job market went flat. And he had a few interviews, but the interviews didn't take him very far. So he took some temporary jobs, jobs that could help him support his family. But, man, they just made him miserable. Well, during that time, he went to the doctor uh, for a routine physical. His uh, doctor found something. They did a biopsy, and it turned out to be cancer. Well, he couldn't believe it. Like, what was God doing? And why was this happening to him anyway? Well, he went through surgery, and he had several rounds of chemo. It was a really tough season for him. And in those days, hope was a choice. He chose to believe that God could and God would raise his situation. He got some counseling. He talked with some spiritual mentors. He kept networking, sending out resumes. Even though it had been one year, two years after uh, you know, he'd graduated, he just kept interviewing. He kept hanging in there. And then, almost as quickly as that season started, it came to a close. Follow-up examination showed that the cancer was in remission. It was completely gone. He got an interview with an organization that he liked and who liked him. So he ended up moving, living in a, in a neighborhood that he absolutely loves, his family loves, doing a job that he knows God made him for. Now, my friend faced several totally unexpected challenges, and those challenges went on and on and on. But rather than giving up and giving in to fear or discouragement or doubt, my friend held on to hope that Jesus would take his present circumstances and resurrect them into something new. That helped him keep doing what he needed to do. Hope is a life changer. Now, not every situation turns out that well. Sometimes, quite honestly, prayer seems to go unanswered, and we don't understand why. We may never understand why things happen the way they do. But... But this passage shows us a God who weeps over the things that break our heart and who has the power to take what is dead or dying and make it into something entirely new, something bad he can make into something good. So we trust and we wait and we keep doing the things that we know we need to do. That's the power of hope. Resurgum. Resurgum. i got to get that right. Have you ever heard that word? It's my second Latin word for the day. Only Latin words I'll speak all year, I promise. <laughs> means, I will rise. It started to show up in the 18th century all across Europe on tombstones and in memorial services, proclaiming the strong belief that even if we die, Jesus will raise us up again. Better days are coming. We will rise. It's what brought such undeniable courage to those early Christians. If you whipped them, they stayed undeterred. If you threatened them to be quiet, they'd just go out and preach anyway. Throw them in prison, they'd convert the jailers. They sold their property and gave the money to the poor. They cared for the sick, even if it meant risking their own lives to do it. And when facing the choice to publicly denounce their own faith or be put to death... They prayed for the people who were about to kill them, and they praised God. No matter what you are going through here this morning, no matter how long you have been dealing with it, 
no matter how dead you feel on the inside. Discouragement, defeat, brokenness, depression, addiction, betrayal, tragedy, those are not the end of your story. Because your story is part of a much bigger story, God's story. And when you said yes to Jesus, you became part of that story, of God's story. And God's story does not end with death and laid to rest in a grave. Because three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead. And because he lives, there is nothing, not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or sword, not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not the present circumstances, not anything in the future, not anything in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. God will always have one more one more move for you, one more miracle for you, one more chance at change. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never, uh, uh, will never die. And the one, so let me get that right. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever uh, lives and believes in me will never die. So this week, Will you live your life like you really, really, really believe what Jesus said? So, Lord Jesus, we believe, we pray that you would help our unbelief. That you would fill the void in us with your love and your presence. And Jesus, if there are some here this morning that have not professed you or who've wandered away from you, Jesus, would you come in? Would you be Lord and Savior? Would you be leader and forgiver of their lives? Jesus, we need you. You are the source of our hope. We pray it in your name.